Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. The one promise you gave over and over throughout the scriptures. When people were fearful, when people faced the unknown, when people were about to go into battle, you said, I am with you. So, Father, we thank you for your presence this morning. We ask for a special, tangible example of your presence for all of those recouping from uh, the hurricane, Father. For all those that have a lot of uncertainty before them, maybe questioning uh, their circumstances, questioning their faith, Father. We ask that you draw near to them, allow your community to draw near to them, that they would feel your love and the confidence of your presence, even during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. By the way, if you want to help out with the hurricane efforts, we have partnered with Matthew 25 Ministries. They are parked down our lower parking lot, down by the soccer fields. If you didn't know, there's soccer fields down there. Um, So if you want to drop off perishables, uh, non-perishables rather, uh, there's a list of that in your program if you want to partner with our uh, relief efforts with Matthew 25. You know, one of the exciting things about being a pastor here is uh, the types of volunteers we have. Not just volunteers that fill in once in in a while, but volunteers who really want to do their very best to uh, work in the the tech booth, to work in our children's ministry, or even our youth programs. And I have volunteers all the time coming saying, how do I do better? So one of our volunteers who's been working with our student ministry for many, many years is my friend Peter, who said, Chad, could could you help coach me to be a better communicator? So about three or four months ago, I started coaching him to be better in the student ministry, and we picked a a passage just so he could work on that. And as he just continued to work on that, um, I said, man, this is so great. I'd love to have you come and share that message um, on the adult stage. So after uh, um, just a lot of great work and a lot of great heart for God and for the people of our church, can you give a warm welcome to Peter Borkbank this morning? Peter, thanks for being with us. Thanks, man. Thanks, Chad. As Chad said, uh, my name is Peter. I've been coming to Horizon now for just over six years, and it's been an absolutely amazing experience for me. Um, I consider myself very lucky to have found Horizon, not just because it's a great church, which it absolutely is, um, because it's where I met my wife, Kristen. And you can see a photo of her there, and now you know why I say I'm lucky uh, to have found Horizon. That's our 11-month-old daughter, Eliana, um, and it's been such a blessing to raise her here at Horizon in the last year. While I was preparing uh, for today, I knew that I'd be talking to an audience that's a little bit different uh, than I usually speak to. As Chad mentioned, I'm normally helping with the high school ministry, and I knew today my audience would be just a little bit older. Uh, So I uh, made some adjustments. I've removed all references to Snapchat, uh, Instagram, and Fortnite. All of that has been taken out. Jokes aside, though, I am genuinely excited to be speaking today. Because we get to talk about an issue, a very important issue, that's affecting the church, it's affecting Christian culture, it's affecting horizon, and is ultimately affecting everyone's life here. And that is the issue of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. What we'll see in the text today is that Jesus makes avoiding hypocrisy a priority for his disciples. And he shows his disciples three sources of that hypocrisy. And my prayer for us today is that we too can unpack, find, and address those sources in our life so that we have a chance of avoiding hypocrisy. So if you have a Bible or your smartphone, turn to Luke 12. And if for some reason you don't have either of those, it'll be on the screen behind me. Luke 12, verse 1. In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together, 
so that they trampled one another, he began to say to his disciples, First of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So those of you who haven't been here the last few weeks, Jesus has been uh, crying out woes to, to Pharisees and lawyers and all these different people. And the Pharisees, if you're not familiar, are the religious uh, and political leaders uh, for the Jewish people of the time. And at this point in history, they have completely distorted what God had intended them to be. And so Jesus is calling them out for this. But this is very provocative, right? He, he is calling out the leaders of the day, and because of that, it's drawn a crowd. And Jesus has been speaking to this crowd. But however, at this point, Jesus draws it in a little bit more personal. And we can see in the text that he began to say to his disciples. And what that tells us is that this is a something of great importance. Not that the crowd can't learn from it, but Jesus is addressing specifically his closest followers. And what he says is beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. An interesting fact, the word hypocrite comes from the Greek word for actor, or one who wears a mask. We can see that Jesus feels very strongly against this mask wearing. He, he uses very strong language of beware, you know, caution, danger, watch out. And we have to ask ourselves, why such urgency? Why, why such urgency from Jesus? And we can unpack that by looking at the image and the imagery he uses. And in this case, he uses the image of leaven. Another way to say that would be yeast. And you may be familiar with yeast because yeast is the thing that goes into the bread that you bake or maybe the beer that you brew in the basement. It's the little bit of yeast. It gives the bread the, the rise and it gives it the fluffiness. It gives the beer the alcohol. This is something that even if you weren't familiar with, the, the Jewish people had been very familiar with yeast. Bread was their daily sustenance. They were eating bread every day. Thus, they would have been baking bread every day and would have known that a little bit of yeast goes a long way. Just a pinch is all that's needed for the bread. Just a small scoop is all that's needed for the beer. And it's the same with the hypocrisy in our lives. The smallest amount of hypocrisy, just the drop that enters us, consumes us, fills us, covering every corner, our mind, our thoughts, our actions, our feelings, our emotions. It corrupts us. Hypocrisy is a poison. It's a poison. And this is the reason for Jesus' urgency. Jesus understands the poisonous effect that hypocrisy had on the Pharisees. And he wants his disciples to avoid the same fate. He knows that the disciples are going to become the future spiritual leaders. In a sense, the disciples are the replacement of the Pharisees. We, in the same way, are today's spiritual leaders. We have become the face of the church to our friends, to our families, to our co-workers. We are the modern-day disciples we are the representatives of Jesus to the people around us. What is it they see when they look at us? Is it something compelling, interesting, engaging? Or is it something repulsive, insulting, painful? We have to ask ourselves, when people look at us, do they see us living like disciples or living like Pharisees? What is it that the world sees? People are watching how we act. People are watching how the church acts, how Horizon acts. And because of that, 
We must take Jesus' warning seriously. We must avoid hypocrisy. But to do that, we must understand the sources of hypocrisy. And Jesus goes on to show us that first source. The first is the actions we hide the most. The actions we hide the most. Verses 2 and 3, they say, For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have spoken in the ear and inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. What if everything you've ever told someone in secret, every whisper, was suddenly proclaimed on a loudspeaker? Or worse, posted on the front page of Twitter? It's happened to some celebrities. They maybe revealed some things that they didn't want revealed. Maybe you would say, oh, that that doesn't uh, quite accurately represent me. I'm, I'm a little bit different than what that would lead you to believe. And that's exactly the picture that Jesus is painting here. We would say, oh, no, no, I'm I'm changed, I'm new, I'm a follower of Christ. Yet deep down, the selfishness, the lies, the gossip, the hate, the anger, is all buried, hidden. I personally can uh, relate to this. I know a time a few years back at, at work, where I was working on a team where there was a particularly difficult team member. There was kind of an unofficial consensus amongst the team that that person was difficult to work with. And this led us to complaining to one another. You know, we'd you know, whisper and gossip behind closed doors. But they're just so frustrating. They just, they just can't do their job right. And they're just they're not collaborative. And so no one really enjoyed working with this individual. One day we're at a, a team meeting. And this individual has gone off onto a story that none of us can follow. And it wasn't an inappropriate story. It's just one of those stories where you go... Why is this being shared? I don't understand. And it went on for a couple minutes. And at the end of that, one of my other team members said in the most really condescending way, thank you so much for that insightful story. And the room erupts in laughter. Now this isn't playful, jestful laughter like, <laughs> zingdia. This is ridicule. This is, this is making fun of someone, laughing at their expense. And I'm thinking this as I am laughing. So I'm thinking, I'm going, oh, they should not have said that. That is so uncomfortable. Let's just move past it. Right? Ha ha, that's funny. Ooh. I remember later that week, we go to the uh, anonymous feedback box. We had one on the floor just in case people had comments. And later that week, oh, there's actually a comment in the box. We never get comments. And I don't remember the exact words, but I remember it was something like this. I cannot believe management would allow such ridicule and insulting of a fellow team member, even if no one likes them. It creates a toxic culture, a culture I want nothing a part of. It was true. I read that and I just just sank. And even worse is the fact that I was the senior manager in the room. It was my job. It was my job to step up and say, absolutely not. That is not how we behave here. To show what my leadership was like. My Christ-like leadership. Someone had asked me, oh, how do you lead? Oh, I lead selflessly. I'm others-focused. Always about respect. Always about the team. It's not about me. That's not what I demonstrated. Hey, who wants to come to church with me? We uh, make fun of people and insult them in front of their peers. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Maybe you hide something else. Whether or not the world sees it, God sees it. Every minute of our life, every corner of our heart is laid bare. 
before God. It says in the verse, For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Either in this life or in eternity, all of our hypocrisy will be exposed. We must address it. We must be cured of that hypocrisy or it's going to be revealed at our spiritual autopsy. Jesus goes on to show us the second source of hypocrisy. The first being the actions we hide the most. The second, the idols we fear the most. Verses 4 and 5, they say, And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Jesus shows us two groups of things that we can fear. One is the world, or man, and everything the world and man represents. The other is him, capital H him, God. We can fear the world, or we can fear God. The world, they can cost us our job, our reputation, social status, money. They can even kill us. God, well, God can do all those things. And he also has the power to judge our soul. Now, hearing Jesus talk about that, that contrast, can feel very fire and brimstone. It can feel very unloving. But I don't think that's why Jesus is sharing that. He's not sharing it out of anger or judgment. He's sharing it out of urgency. The same urgency that drove the words, beware, beware, hypocrisy is an issue that must be taken seriously. We must beware of the hypocrisy. We must beware of the fear that can drive our life. Because fear is a great motivator. Now the Greek word used here for fear is phobeo. And it's used many times throughout the Bible. And it has a dual meaning. So on one hand it means probably what you think. And that is terror. The kind of fear that my wife has when she opens the bathroom and sees a large spider. Kill it! It's coming! Oh goodness, that's a large spider! Oh, Right? Terror. We can relate to that. On the other hand, it also means reverence. Reverence. A good example of reverence might be the relationship I have with my dad. I feared my dad, but never out of terror, but out of reverence. When my dad said, jump, I jumped. When my mom said, jump, I said, nah. And then she'd get my dad, and I jumped twice as high. Reverence. So on one hand here, Jesus is asking the disciples, what causes you more terror? Losing your life or losing your soul? That's an important question for us to deal with. But he's also asking, almost more importantly, what do you revere? What causes your need to bow? What are you bowing to? Is it God's will or the temptations of this world? Because if it's not God, it's an idol. And we all have idols. We fear disappointing our idols. The fear sneaks into our mind and it controls our actions. It's the kind of fear that sets in when a boss throws open your office door and says, the sales numbers are too low. I better see better numbers next month. There's going to be issues. The rest of that week, that month, that fear, it settles in. Whether consciously or subconsciously, you're being controlled by that fear. The fear of, of disappointing the, the idol of you know, social success, the, of, of financial security, that raise you needed, the promotion or the title or whatever it is, disappointing your boss. All of that sets in and it drives 
what we do, we fear disappointing our idols. Whatever we fear the most, whatever we revere the most, will drive our actions. And these actions consume us, distracting us from focusing on God's will, which should be our main focus. And when this happens, we begin to do things that are not God-honoring, that are not God-pleasing, and we start to misrepresent God to the people that we claim to be representing God to. Hypocrisy. The idols we fear the most. Now I do want to come back and address verse 5, because I think it's never very comfortable to see Jesus talking about casting into hell. It can make us feel like ants under God's cosmic magnifying glass. Hmm, whom shall I burn today? You. Oh, oh, God, pick somebody else. No, not me, not me. No, that's not how God operates at all. I think Jesus is sharing this, providing this contrast, because he knows it is the condition of our hearts. He knows that our hearts are filled with fear. Thus, he speaks to us in that fear. If you're going to fear something, I mean, you're fearing man all the time. Why are you fearing man? Man can only do so much. Fear God. Because God is so much more powerful. But, but you don't even have to fear God. And Jesus shows us a way out of living in fear. Verses 6 and 7. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Here we see Jesus using imagery once again. And in this case, it's the image of sparrows. It may seem like a weird image choice, but back then, sparrows were used as offerings and other things on a day-to-day basis. So to the Jewish people, it would have been seen as a commodity of sorts, a commonplace item, something that's worth less than pennies. Pennies. Pennies are the things that you leave on the ground. They're just... Dirty pennies. It's not worth picking up. Maybe a quarter or a dollar. I'll pick that up. Not a penny. Jesus said God cares about sparrows. He loves the sparrows that are worth less than pennies. We're we're worth millions, billions. We're, We're worth an innumerable amount of pennies. If God loves sparrows, loves pennies, how much must he love us? Second image God or Jesus uses here is the image of, of numbering our hairs. Something I heard a pastor say that I love is that it is specifically numbered and not counted. Counted is just knowing the total. Numbered is each hair is named. Hair number one, hair number two, each one is named and God knows all the hairs on our head. On average, we have 100 to 150,000 hairs on our head. Unless you're bald, then you've got like 50 hairs. And those are coming out of your nose and ears. And you're counting those too. One, two, three. Okay, I've got like five left. God has numbered our hairs. He cares about sparrows worth less than pennies. How much does he love us? It is more than we will ever begin to fathom. It is more than I can even fathom or communicate. God overflows with so much love for us that we do not have to be slaves in the fear of our idols. We can rejoice in his grace, his mercy, his love. It's right there in verse 7. Do not fear. Those are Jesus' words. Do not fear. He shows us that love can be our motivator 
instead of fear. It's the kind of love that never stops, that is never ceasing, that is always outpoured to us. It's the fatherly love. A love that I can begin to relate to now that I have a daughter of my own. It's the kind of love that takes a knee and pulls you in close. It says, I know you're hurting. I know you screwed up. I'm disappointed. I'm upset. But I love you. I love you. And you know what? You're going to screw up again. And I'm going to get upset again. And there's going to be more tears and more pain. But I love you. You are growing. I will always love you. Every day. Every hour. Every minute. I love you. And whenever you need me, just call my name. And like that, I'll be here. It's the same thing with God. We call his name and like that, he's there. Constant love. And in that constant love, Jesus goes on to make a beautiful promise. You see that in verses 8 and 9. Also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man will also confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. So the Pharisees of the day, textbook example of verse 9. They are so consumed with keeping their power and their social status that they'll do everything to disregard Jesus. Throw him out. Oh, no, no, this guy's a fraud. Don't listen to him. They are more consumed with what they want. They want their power. They want their status. They'll do everything they can to keep what they want. And that brings us to our third source of hypocrisy. The first, the actions we hide the most. The second, the idols we fear the most. And third, the things we want the most. The things we want the most. The things we want are the things that we're willing to publicly acknowledge. No one wakes up and says, I'm going to be a hypocrite today and go out and contradict myself to everybody. At least we hope not. No, rather we make decisions based on what we think is best. What we think is best is driven by what we find important. What we find important is ultimately driven by what we want. What we want. In verse 8, if we look back at verse 8, we see the word confess. And when we see that, we probably think of something like confession. right? Something very, very formal. Another way of thinking about the word confess, or another meaning, would be to acknowledge. Acknowledge. Think of it this way. When you confess something, you acknowledge what you did. So we have to ask ourselves, am I living in a way that confesses and acknowledges God as the thing that I want the most? As the thing that I want the most. Are we willing to acknowledge him publicly? And are we willing to acknowledge him and his place in our life with just our words or actions as well? Because the Bible tells us that words alone are not sufficient. Matthew 15, 7 and 8, we see Jesus speaking to the Pharisees again. You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Here we see the Pharisees providing lip service to God. Oh yes, we're serving God. But deep down their actions, their actions were serving themselves. And our actions, our actions expose our priorities. They expose the things we want. Not our words, but our actions. I can personally relate to this. Um, when it comes to raising uh, our daughter Ellie with my wife Kristen. I remember a few months ago, 
Christine got pretty sick and she sends me a text while I was at work. It just, babe, I just cannot get through the day. Ellie is a handful. Can you just come home and help me out? Of course, the best husband. I leave work early. Oh, boom, rush home. Hey, how's my wife doing? Okay, good. All right, change the diaper. Okay, what's for dinner? Great, eat dinner. Go make a bottle, give it to my wife. Wife puts the baby to bed. Successful day. So we'll pause in the story. Right now, every guy in the room is going, I don't get it. What's the point? And every woman, especially every mom, is about ready to jump out of their seat and smack me. And that's because I did nothing different. My wife asked for one thing. Can you help me out today? Can you just do a little extra today? And I didn't. I just did what I always did. Changed the diaper, made a bottle, watched some YouTube. And I didn't realize this until we're laying in bed that night and my wife leans over to me and says, I'm really hurt with how you treated me today. I asked for help and you couldn't even do that. What are you talking about? You're, you're my number one priority. Absolutely. I, I did everything I did. I did it for you. Those are my words. What did my actions say? My actions said, me time was more important. That watching YouTube was more important. than resting was more important. Not taking care of my wife. Our actions expose our priorities. They expose what we want. Our actions confess, acknowledge the things that we're striving for. For some of you here today, you know every Reds game and Bengals game on the schedule. Yet somehow, your anniversary always seems to sneak up on you. Or, for those in the corporate realm, like myself, you would never forget the uh, presentation to the board of directors or that meeting with the vice president. But your daughter's dance recital, you might have missed that. Or your son's soccer game. Or worse... You chose not to go to those things because the other thing was more important. Our actions expose our priorities. They reveal the things we want the most. What is it that we really want? We say our top priority is God's will. But our actions? Our actions say that we're serving ourselves. Hypocrisy. And these actions have consequences, not just in our life, but in the lives of the people that we are trying to show God's love to. The people that we claim to be serving in the name of God. So what can we do about this? We have to do something. We know the sources, the actions we hide, the idols we fear, and the things that we want. And as hard as we try to avoid these things, we can't. We can't. The world is saturated in the poison of hypocrisy. We can try as best to avoid it and dodge out of the way, but at the end of the day, it is covering us. How do we keep it out of our system? We have to find the vaccine, the antidote, the cure for hypocrisy. And that cure is humility. Humility heals hypocrisy. Hypocrite, the actor who wears a mask, humble man. The humble man has no masks. He has nothing to hide. The origin of the word humility means low in standing, or literally it means close to the ground. Now something we have to remember is that humility does not mean thinking less of ourselves. It means thinking of ourselves less. 
It's not easy to admit, but we've all got baggage. And when we can admit that baggage, it can have a profound impact on our lives. I know for me personally, there was a time back in college, it was my junior year, and I was leading a a small group of men in my dorm room, teaching them how to study the Bible, how to be a godly man. And during that junior year, at another dorm, there was a new Bible study leader, new small group leader, and his name was Rob. And for some reason, Rob just got under my skin. I just, I was competitive with him. I just wanted to beat him. I wanted to be better than him. And and to this day, I don't even really know why. I don't know why I just didn't like Rob. I just didn't. And I noticed things about myself in my relationship with Rob. I noticed that I was tempted to say bad things about him, to disparage him, to lessen him. I noticed that fear began to well up in me, that I'd be left out of the crowd, that I would be replaced. My fear of social acceptance began to set in. And then third, deep down, if I really admitted it, what I wanted most was to be better than him. Oh, if I could be better than Rob, mm, life would be good. And I realized these things about myself. God revealed these things about myself. And I knew I had to do something about it. I knew I had to make a change. So I humbled myself. I injected some humility into my life. And I did that by saying, hey, Rob, can we talk for a second? And I met one-on-one with Rob and confessed this to him. I said, Rob, I just have a competitive and a bitter spirit towards you. I do not know why. And he offered, hey, was it something I did or I said? And I said, no, it's me. And in that moment, just confessing that, just by humbling myself, I felt the weight, the bitterness lifted from my shoulders. Now, I'm not going to pretend that Rob and I became best friends and he was the best man at my wedding or anything. No. But we were friends. We were able to lead alongside each other our senior year. And our small groups, our, our, our dorms were better for it. Just imagine if I had allowed hypocrisy to set into my heart. What would have happened to the group of men that I was leading? That example that I was setting. Here is how you be a godly man. You stab someone in the back, talk bad about them, and beat them down. Oh, that's not the example I'm trying to set. Thank goodness I injected some humility into my life. Humility heals hypocrisy. When was the last time you introduced some humility into your life? Now, humility doesn't always have to be a one-on-one conversation with a friend. If anything, it should start with a one-on-one conversation with God. When's the last time you spent alone time with God? I'm not talking, oh, I was at church and God and I had a nice moment. I'm talking at home, alone. No spouse, no kids, no friends, no phone. Just you and God. Talking with God, humbling yourself before God, saying, God, I need help with this. I need wisdom in this area. I need support or perseverance or or, you know, healing, whatever it is, bringing it before God, humbling yourself. Humbling yourself before the God whose love never ends, never ceases, constantly outpouring the love that will be there in a second if you just ask for it. We must have humility in our lives. Without it, we're going to be seen as hypocrites by the people that we're trying to love and show God's love to the most. We don't have to be perfect. We just have to be willing to admit that we're not perfect. 
Every day we have to make an active choice. When we wake up, are we going to live for God's will or our own will? Are we going to fill ourselves with God's love or the world's poison? Where have you allowed poison into your life? Because as Christians, we are God's representatives. And we have to ask ourselves, what is it that we are choosing to represent each day? We know the sources of hypocrisy. We know the three places, the actions we hide the most, the idols we fear the most, and the things we want the most. What's your source of hypocrisy? Whatever it is, you must address it with urgency. Because it isn't only our lives that are at stake. It is the lives of the friends, the families, and the co-workers that you are trying to show God's love to. The world is watching the church. The world is watching Horizon. The world is watching me. The world is watching you. What if your life is the only Bible someone will ever read? What are they going to see? Are they going to see a disciple? Or are they going to see a Pharisee? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for that love that you constantly pour on us, that forgiveness you constantly offer us. And I pray that you would reveal to us the sources of our hypocrisy, that you would show them as plain as day to us, that you would allow us to inject humility into our life and purge out and avoid that hypocrisy. That as we go out, we can be your representative, that when people see us, they see you. I pray that you would help us day by day, week by week, month by month. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Peter. Appreciate it. Good thank Peter for being with us. As we head out today, I just want to know, sometimes it is not easy to see your spots. In fact, it's really hard to see your own blind spots. Uh, even with the Holy Spirit, you need other people who love you to help you. And we have lots of women's groups and Bible studies for folks in that place. But we are starting back up our men's program, specifically for men can get around other men that can help them. If you know Ken Kington, he's been a comedian, one of our favorite guest speakers we bring in for the last 10, 15 years. He is going to be flying in and doing uh, six weekends in a row, or five weekends in a row, rather, with a series called Authentic Manhood to teach us what it looks like to be in a line with our design to get around other men, to set a path in front of us of what it looks like to live as a a husband, what it looks like to live as a a father. How do we align our faith and what we want to do to our actions, what we really do do? In fact, there's actually going to be two different paths offered on Sunday night, if you're more of an evening person. And that starts on uh, Sunday, September 30th at 8 p.m., or, if you're a morning person, uh, starting on October 1st, a week later, there's a uh, Monday morning, November 5th, at 6.09 a.m. So we've always offered a morning program, and those of us who don't like mornings have never been there, but we've listened to the MP3s. Uh, so if you're an evening program, there's an evening version of Man's Design, Authentic Manhood. And if you're a morning person, that'll be starting up soon. So please come along with that. Bring a friend. Uh, let's get on track that we can be the kind of husbands, the kind of fathers that we need to be in order to lead our families. Thanks for being here. We'll see you all next week. Thanks so much.